One of the great poets of our time is, uh, is Paul Simon. When he was just a kid, when he was just a kid, Paul Simon wrote a very powerful poem about friendship. Uh, here's just some of the verses. Um, he wrote, a winter's day in a deep and dark December, I'm alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen, silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I'm an island. I built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving. I disdain. I'm a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love, but I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I'd never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. Now, you and I are examining what the Bible says about refining relationships. And today, we come to the scriptures on relationships with friends. Paul Simon expresses brilliantly insight into friendships. Look at, look at his poem. It reveals the woundedness of a person who has been rejected. Any, anybody here ever been hurt or rejected by a friend? Raise your hand if you've been hurt or rejected by a friend. Keep them up. Raise your hands. All right. Thank you. You can put them down now. Notice that despite that pain, Mr. Simon is lying to himself. Look at the words. He isn't really a rock. He isn't an island. Deep inside him, something stirs, something that wants to express itself in a loving relationship with a friend. And there's a pretty nifty wordplay going on. Look, when, when Simon says island, he's purposefully using an image that was made famous many, many hundreds of years before by our Christian brother, John Donne. Uh, he wrote in 1624, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. So here's the big conundrum. They both seem to be accurate. Paul Simon's right. Friendships cause pain. That's why almost every hand in here went up earlier. And yet, we're not islands. Dunn is correct. We cannot squelch love. It's part of our memory. Nonetheless, being connected in friendship, which we must do, carries the very real likelihood of pain. Therefore, you are asking right now in your Yandu imitation, boy, what are we doing in this mess? Right? Great question, Yandu. Thank you for asking. Let's start at the beginning. Look at our notes that you, uh, that you downloaded uh, from the website or you're looking at right now on your other screen or you got when you came in the auditorium. Look inside our notes and you'll see the headline that asks, why have friendships? Why? If they contain such risks, why have them? Because you're made in the image of God. God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are in relationship with each other, celebrating a oneness that we cannot fully fathom Tim Keller pens a really great summary about this. His book, Jesus is King, Tim Keller wrote, the, no person in the Trinity insists the others revolve around him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around the others. Close quote. So when the Bible declares that humans are created in the image of God, that demands that people like God are made for close orbiting friendships. That is the big idea in this text, Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Now, Genesis 1.26 leads directly to this statement in the next chapter, Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be what, everybody? Alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him. All right? 
Made in God's image, humans are not meant to be islands. We are meant to voluntarily circle around each other. Our fellow church member Dale Young wrote a book called The Identity Key, and he said this really great summary about Genesis 1 and 2. Look what Dale Young said. As humans, we were created to be in connection with others and in community with other like-minded individuals. The biblical story of creation is a story of connections with people made in God's image, close quote. Of course, your response to that is totally understandable. As Rocket, you were saying right now, yeah, yeah, but humans are now sinful. We aren't in the Garden of Eden anymore. We're made into weird animals, right? Good point. Thank you, Rocket. You're correct. However, that does not change the base truth. Here's the best summary of Scripture I know. The image of God has been defaced in humanity, but it has not been erased. We'll talk more about what that means later. For now, just understand this. Despite sin, which is real, you and I are still made to be in relationships. We have friends because God does, and we're made in His image. People also need friends because friendship sharpens you. Open your Bible to Proverbs 27, verse 17. Uh, Proverbs, right after Psalms, uh, near the end of the first third of your Bible, before Ecclesiastes, Proverbs 27, go to verse 17. Verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. When I was a boy, and this is a cool knife Mr. Mosley gave me, iron to iron. When I was a boy, my dad taught me that, um, that I always needed to use a whetstone and sharpen my knives. I had to sharpen them. He, he made a big deal about that. And dad made the most fascinating claim. He said, he said son, um, the sharper the knife, the more safe it is. Which seemed counterintuitive to me. Uh, but actually, I learned that that's totally true. The, the sharper the knife is, the more safe it is. The sharpness of a knife comes from smoothing. There is a friction between whetstone and blade that, that takes out the nicks in your blade, makes it safer. The knife is smooth by scraping the rough edges. There's, there's rough edges on here that you can't even see with your naked eye. That's why the, the knife that is sharper is subsequently safer. Of course... That sharpening process actually involves more friction, right? Not less. And that brings up a very deep concern that I have for our hypersensitive culture where people run from any conflict. We laugh today. You and I, many of us, laugh at youths who are hiding in their safe spaces because we know that not only is there no such thing, that they're going to be duller knives as a result. Let me show you a cartoon that I think is spot on about this. Um, uh, that's not the cartoon. Here's the cartoon. You've got a typical college hallway, and it's written on the floor, graffiti, free speech is hate speech. Uh, the First Amendment's burning over here. And then the doors say, coexist, safe space, microaggressions, with a macro list of them. Uh, check your privilege. We respect trigger warnings. There's a visitor in the hallway who looks very nonplussed. His name is Socrates. I don't know if you can see that. And he says, where's the door of discussion? That's funny. But even as we laugh at others, we, you and I, we run from church to church fleeing any hint of conflict, right? We leave life groups the minute that anybody says anything we consider to be a weird political opinion, right? If anyone hurts our feelings, what do we do? We're out of there. We scoot. And thus we join those very same people that we laughed at. We're relegated to the back drawer of dull, useless, dangerous knives. The results are evident, folks. We have got to choose to stay engaged and be sharpened, and that requires friction. All God's people said, amen. Why have friends? 
because it glorifies God. What we just sang about and talked about. Romans 15, look up here, Romans 15, 5 and 6. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. Not just harmony with no oversight, according to Christ Jesus. So that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Here's a big shocker for most of us much of the time. Your happiness is not the most important thing. In your relationships, God's glory is the primary issue. Paul could have said, be in harmony so that you will feel better. He could have said that. And and by the way, that, that may indeed be true. But that is not the reason that you and I bond with people. The reason is to enjoy the most important thing in life, the glory of God. When Christians lose sight of that, our relationships run to decay. Let me, let me tell you a little story. This is Carl. I want to introduce you to Carl. Carl, he built one of the, he built one of the great empires the world has ever known. 400 years of decay was turned around under Karl. He was such a remarkable figure, he became known as Karl Machne, or uh, in the old Frankish Charlemagne, as we know him today. Karl unified most of Europe. He brought Europe together. Here's what happened under, under Karl. Learning skyrocketed, especially that kind of learning that later we would call Renaissance, um, learning from the past and applying it to the present and the future. Um, engineering, huge strides under Charlemagne. Life expectancy made mass, the biggest jumps it had made in, in 300 years. Uh, Europe was born, really, under Charlemagne. Europe was born as a place that existed to share the gospel and glorify God. But within two generations of Charlemagne's death, it all fell apart. Because of disunity and foolish moves on the part of Carl's children, the kingdom was destroyed by invasion. It's such a sad story. Europe was doomed to a 700-year slide in life expectancy until the more lasting Reformation and Renaissance would come. Now, here's why I share that story. As Carl's grandson, Charles the Fat, by the way, was his name. Is that a great name for history? Charles the Fat. Um, as he frittered away what remained of Charlemagne's kingdom, there was a monk, this guy, his, his name was Regino. Regino wrote what I think is one of the most insightful comments I have ever read. In fact, I liked it so much I put it in your notes. This is absolutely brilliant. Look what he said. The kingdoms are no longer one compacted body, but are broken into pieces. No longer do people look forward to one Lord. Rather, each is busy to create from within itself its own individual king. Close quote. Let's be frank. <laughs> Sorry, pun intended. Regino was a Frankish monk. Um, when, you build, when you build relationships, most of the time you and I build them to glorify ourselves. When you build relationships to glorify yourself, you're making yourself into an individual little king. When we instead look forward to one Lord, we glorify God with our alliances. Regino's observation is completely accurate. When we act like little kings, our friendships are doomed to be broken into pieces. Period. Lasting unity is built only on one Lord. God's glory is the only right motive for making relationships. Not your needs, not your feelings. Friendships are important because you're made in God's image. They're important because friends sharpen you. Community is critical because it glorifies God. And friends matter because they provide support. Friends support. They help. They encourage us through difficult times. You're still in Proverbs 27, right? Okay, slide up to verse 9. Verse 9, which says, Oil and incense bring joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. When you're trying to make big decisions, 
Um, Self-counsel is not nearly as useful as when you add in input from trusted friends. When you are wearied by all the nonsense of the world, friends bring light. They bring, they bring sweetness. And when we stumble in sin or we stumble in weariness, friends help us get back on our feet. Let's, let's read responsively. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. You join me on the underlined part of the text. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls... His companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. That's why, that's why Paul Simon said what he said. Look, look again at his stanza. He is alone. You see that? Obviously by choice. And because of that, no one can lift him up. The snow, which should be just a beautiful, he says it's, it's freshly fallen. It should be this beautiful thing. It is a shroud. That's, that's a covering uh, for a dead person. It's a, it's a symbol of death. Friends bring light. They bring life even in the face of death. Now, look at the headline, please, on the right side of our notes, and let's cover two common bad motives for friendship. These don't work, but they are very common. They can be incredibly dangerous. First, do not build relationships in order to escape irritations. Look down, verses 14 and 16, or through 16 of Proverbs 27. If one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. An endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife or alike. The one who controls the wind, controls her, controls the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. If you choose to have interactions with people, you will be irritated. There are members of my extended family who feel it is necessary for them to awaken at 5 a.m. and start whistling throughout the house. It is, it is a wonder they are alive. It's, it's astonishing, Right? All right, tell me some of yours. Tell me, let's share. Um, some of the frustrating practices of the people close to you, all right? Think, think of the guy in the cubicle next to yours. Uh, think of your spouse, your parents, your kids. In, in your world, what are the loud voices in the morning? Raise your hands. Let me, let me hear some irritate. Yes. Slurping tea. Slurping tea. But it's hot. Anyway, sorry. Yes, okay. Slurping tea. That's, yeah. Uh, anybody here? Uh, I have one friend who hates the sound of metal on the plate, so anybody even just cutting their food, they just kind of do the shimmy in the corner. Yeah, what do you got? Open cabinets. Open cabinets. <laughs> and, and, and you're not short, so that's a particularly dangerous thing. Yeah, that's right. Good. Okay, very good. What else? What drives you crazy? You got one back there? What was it? Yes, go ahead. Not replacing the toilet paper. Not replacing the toilet paper. Or can we be very serious for a moment? This is sin, I'm sure. I haven't found it yet in the Bible. But putting it where it goes under, not over, that's just wrong. <sighs> I tell you. Anyway, sorry. Yes? Foam. People rubbing foam. People rubbing what? Foam. Foam. Rubbing foam. That bothers you. Okay. That's cool. I will stay away from that one. Come on, come on. Give me one more. Give me one more. What do you got? Co-workers clipping toenails next to me was the answer. Um, by the way, so we had slurping tea, we had open cabinets, we had uh, toenails, we had rubbing foam. Uh, sorry, I'm kidding. It's okay. Uh, we had not replacing the toilet paper, but I think that one wins. That's <laughs> clipping toenails. Oh, my goodness. All right. Those are awesome. Uh, horrible, rather. Um, now, if our own ease was the motive for engagement with whatever relationships we just referenced. 
We'd quickly end those relationships, right? I mean, that, that's it. You're clipping toenails. Talk to the hand. But we saw earlier, our interactions are not for us, right? They can, they should be about God's glory, even when the other person is contentious. Kyle Golden is a college student in Alabama. Um, He's just a kid, but his recent article he wrote is wise beyond his years. Uh, The article's called What the Trinity Teaches Us About Relationships. Look what Mr. Golden said. Unlike us, Jesus did not start a relationship with his people for what he might get from them. He came to give everything he had to us. His hometown rejected him. The religious elite scorned and hated him, calling him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. His disciples fled in fear when he was arrested. The the Jews had an insurrectionist released instead of Jesus. Roman soldiers mocked his claim to kingship. They clothed him with a crown of thorns and a purple robe. They scoffed, hail king of the Jews, and struck him. Jesus had friends. He had lots of acquaintances, but they were never chosen to help him avoid irritation. Now, it's not that we shouldn't discuss the frustrating actions of our friends and family. Jesus did, and and we should too. Jesus called out those who caused him pain in their sins, but he still died for each and every one. Jesus didn't try to escape irritations. He blessed even those who cursed him, and as his followers, we are empowered to do the same. Amen? Second common bad motive for friendship is to prevent pain. Psalm 41 verse 9 speaks to this. Even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, raised his heel against me. Now, I remember being a young teen and reading that alone in my room, reading my Bible. And and I pictured, I mean, he said ate my bread. I pictured, I'm an American kid, the end of a loaf of bread, sliced white bread. And I couldn't figure out why it's a big deal for somebody to raise the heel up against you. I, uh, that's not what it means, by the way. It, um, in Israel, even to this day, it is considered a serious affront if you, if you show the, the sole of your shoe to someone. To, that, that's why when, when in, the, in the Middle East you had uh, President Bush totally insulted when the guy threw a shoe at him one time. That's the ultimate insult. In pedestrian cultures, even to this day, in many pedestrian cultures, it is... A, a gross infraction of politeness to show the bottom of your foot. That's what it means. This is somebody who completely destroyed my friendship. Jesus, by the way, quoted that verse, Psalm 41.9, at the Last Supper, and he was referring to Judas. And that's how painful relationships can be. They can be like Judas's kiss. Speaking of insults, by the way, David Wade of our pulpit team sent me a great reminder. He said, Wayne, remember, in the ancient Near East, betrayal by one who has shared your table is especially considered heinous. And yet Jesus, knowing all things, still chose to live in relationship with Judas. The Psalms expands the picture. It includes the spiritual brethren as well. Look at this, uh, Psalm 55. Now, it is not an enemy who insults me, otherwise I could bear it. It's not a foe who rises up against me, otherwise I could hide from him. But it is you, a man who is my peer, my companion, and good friend. We used to have close fellowship. We, We walked with the crowd into the house of God. When I worked full-time at Pine Cove, people would often say something like this to me. They'd they'd come over to you at family camp, summer camp, and say, man, it must be heavenly to work here all the time. Camp, everybody is so nice all the time. I mean, you could really know people here without all the mess and drama. And those of us who were on full-time staff just laughed mirthlessly. 
Yes, I made some wonderful lifelong friends at camp, but it was never drama-free, never. Like every single relationship this side of the garden, there were and are continual messes. If somebody ever offers you a job or a group or a church or any association that they promise to be pain-free, run. run. Flee. Do not pass go. Don't collect $200. They are willingly lying, or they're too shallow to know they're lying. Either way, it's a mirage, which leads us to the next question that is troubling you. In your internal Groot voice, you are asking, I am Groot, which, of course, translates as, how do you choose a friend? Great question, Groot. Thank you. First, look for truthfulness. Proverbs 27, you're still there, right? Go up to verse 6. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. You know, dudes have a great way of telling who a real pal is. Mike is my friend. I, I know he's my friend because, here's how I know, if I were up here and my fly were undone, Mike would find a way to get word to me about that probably very subtly like saying, hey, your fly's open. He would tell me. That's what guys do. It might embarrass me, but it's for my good. Um, I am told that, uh, that females have a similar way of expressing care. I am told by reliable source, which is Mike's wife, that a true friend would say to you, girlfriend, you've got, you got lipstick on your teeth. Uh, apparently, that's a measure of friendship among girls. The point is, the people who fawn all over you are not wanting healthy friendship. They want to use you for their purposes the same way an enemy would. We cannot be smoothed without friction. Remember, we must have friction in order. No stone unturned requires abrasion. Now, please don't misunderstand. God is not saying to seek out disagreeable people. That's not what he's saying in this text. He's saying to find people who can disagree as your friend. And he isn't teaching us to shun affection. He's saying that affection must be real and not excessive. Okay, get this. After Charlemagne, I told you about Charlemagne, after his unified world collapsed, all hell broke loose. I want you to look. Can, can, you, see, can you see the yellow line? Does that show up? Can, I hope you guys can see that at home, the yellow line here. Uh, that's all of the area that was really a unified West under Charlemagne. He didn't rule all that area, but that was all unified and together. After Charlemagne's kingdom collapsed because his sons couldn't find unity, um, Magyars attacked from the east, absolutely destroyed the Germanic tribes. Uh, Arabs came from the south. I don't know if that shows up very well, but they, they got as far as Rome and actually sacked Rome, held the pope captive inside his walls. And, of course, Vikings, most of us know about uh, the Vikings, were a horrible scourge. There was only one, there was one kingdom that held up under this incredible onslaught. People say unprecedented about things today. Ha! Th this is unprecedented. One kingdom. This little one right here, Wessex. Wessex was the only one to hold its ground. Wessex was blessed with a, a young king whose name was Alfred. By the way, this is how cool Alfred was. In all of British history, there is only one ruler who has ever had the title the Great. That's him. Alfred, the only one ever called the Great. He successfully stood against all these forces of deconstruction. I don't think it's too much to say that Alfred saved civilization. In fact, he conquered, he conquered a great deal of England back from the Vikings. To keep his society strong, Alfred developed a new law code. By the way, it, it has great impact on your life today. Alfred's law code is the core of what is called common law. Uh, which still is the rule throughout Britain and is very much the core of the law to our day. Interestingly, now this is my point, the very first point in his law code, 
He has an introduction about the Ten Commandments and who he's learned from and different things. And then he says this. This is the first point of his law. Most necessary is it that every man keep with due care his oath and his pledge. Oath breakers will spend at least 40 days in jail at their own expense. Close quote. Alfred realized that if you're going to have unity, if you're going to keep a society together under the onslaught of the forces of deconstruction, truthfulness must come first. Every relationship has to start there. Choose a truthful person for friendship and look for one who calls on the Lord. Read with me Psalm 145, verse 18. Let's read it all together. The Lord is near. Sorry, all together is an English word. It means that we do it at the same time. All right, here we go. One, two, three. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Who call on is a really intriguing word choice. It's, it's this Hebrew word, chacha. Chacha is a really old term, appears in every single Semitic language, including Hebrew. It's a common word, but it's got, it's got three different shades of meaning. Chacha can indicate somebody who's crying out in distress to some specific person. It can mean, chara, to, to proclaim someone's name, to, to, to act as their ambassador. Or, thirdly, chara can mean putting yourself in someone else's story, um, to, to live according to their ethic, to, to, um, to care for what they care, to think like they think. Um, I cannot find any agreement among the experts about what chara means here in Psalm 145. It could be crying out to God. It, it could mean living in his name as an ambassador, or it could be inserting oneself into God's story, his ethic. Here's what's cool. Any of those is fine. If you have friends who, in truth, depend on God, then look at the text. You know what you have? You have a relationship that will bring you closer to the Lord yourself. Same thing if you can find somebody who lives as God's ambassador. That will bring you closer. The Lord is near. Same thing if you find somebody who lives according to the Lord's ethic. That brings the Lord near. Regardless of the shade of meaning, you will be blessed by friends who call on the Lord. Oh, they're still human. They're going to let you down. They will wound you for good and, and possibly for evil. But regardless, you will find God near as a result of that friendship. Anybody ever had a friendship like that? Raise your hand. You've had a friendship that drew you closer to the Lord? Good for you. Let's get more. All right, now turn back a few pages. We're going to leave Proverbs 17. We're going to go back to Proverbs, I mean, Proverbs 27. We're going to go to 17. Proverbs 17, just a few pages back to the west in your Bible, verse 17. A friend loves how often, everybody? At all times. And a brother is born for a difficult time. How do you choose a friend? Look for faithfulness. Loyalty matters. Is that what we seek in friends? Uh, not often. Instead, we usually search for something Scripture never calls for. We search for popularity. It's a common story trope because it is so true. Relationships that are based on popularity are doomed. Think about it. The entire foundation of such a relationship is based on human opinion, and thus it cannot survive difficulties. Anybody ever had, in contrast, a true friend who has always come through for you, always is there for you, even when you're in pain? Anybody ever had a friend like that? I have, and I hope you have as well. You know a couple of my friends like that, a couple of my faithful friends. I am very blessed to be yoked together with our executive pastors, Pastor Andy and Pastor Jeremy. They irritate me at times, though not nearly as much as I know I bother them. But they always love me. They are reliable. When the chips are down, they stand firmer than ever. Look for that kind of faithfulness. It's what, it's what the Rembrandt sang about in the introduction of that TV show, Friends. People are so, do you know, people are so hungry for loyalty, that show never seems to go away. 
unlike the morals of that show, the lyrics of this song are actually pretty good. The intro song, uh, I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. No one could ever know me. No one could ever see me. Seems like you're the only one who knows what it's like to be me. Someone to face the day with, make it through all the rest with, someone I'll always laugh with, even at my worst, I'm best with you. One more thought about this. Uh, in Friends, look for engagement. Years ago, many years ago, I heard a pastor named Leith Anderson say this. He said, people are like Legos. They have a finite number of attachment points. You may really enjoy somebody, but if you or he lack open slots, you can't become close friends. Now, that's not scripture, but I have found that to be quite accurate. Flip over one page to Proverbs 18. Look at what Proverbs 18, verse 24 tells us. One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. This is critically important. Now, it is true. We only need God. But he made us to be in community, to be engaged with people. And that takes us to a very serious problem. Modern people have become very adept at pretending to engage with many friends while actually staying distant. I just want to read to you from two letters I received this week. I received these letters this week. Here's the first one. Wayne, we have realized that we need community. We have acquaintances here. They're writing from another state. But we don't really have anyone connected with us. Here's another one. Wayne, work is very difficult. Virtually all of my coworkers are embittered, angry people and continuously complain. On a personal note, my best friend died last year. I still feel lonely. I don't have many people to come alongside me to encourage me in my faith. Part of me doesn't want to make new friends anymore, but I realize that is unhealthy and immature. I think every adult in here can relate to those. And guess what? Technology can add to the problem. My new friend, Jim Yarborough, sent me this quote. This is from Sherry Turkle's book, um, a new book by Sherry Turkle called Reclaiming Conversation. Look what she says. It's not surprising that in the past 20 years, we've seen a 40% decline in the markers for empathy among college students, most of it within the past 10 years. It's a trend that researchers link to the new presence of digital communications. I call it the Goldilocks effect. We can't, get enough, we can't get enough of each other if we can have each other at a digital distance. Not too close, not too far, just right. But human relationships are rich, messy, and demanding. When we clean them up with technology, we move from conversation to the efficiencies of mere connection. I fear we forget the difference. And we forget that children who grow up in a world of digital devices don't know there is a difference or that things ever were different, close quote. So true. Golly, it's almost like God knew what he was talking about in Proverbs 18. Read verse 24 again. One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Now, the solution is not to clean out all your Instagram followers, okay? The, the right thing to do is to look for, work for, pray for friends, just a few with whom you can really converse. Now, let's get more specific. Let's quickly discuss how do you choose a partner. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna drill down a little more. Spouses and business partners are a specific subset of friendship, and the Bible has particular words for those relationships, the subset of partner, either business or life partner. First thing, for a business or life partner, demand a believer of like mind. Second Corinthians chapter 6 is quite clear. Don't become partners with those who do not believe. 
For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And, and what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. And he quotes here Leviticus 26, I will dwell among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you, Isaiah 52. And 2 Samuel 7, I'll be a father to you. You will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I have seen many people ignore this command to their detriment. You know, this comes up sometimes with single folks who are understandably hungry for a relationship. So what they do is they settle for less than what God describes here, and that usually that, that ends up in a different kind of settlement. There are wonderful exceptions. This is really impressive. I spoke recently with a young man in our church who, who refused to settle when the Christian dating app set him up with a less than spiritually healthy woman. This dude wants to be married, but he cut that date off quickly. He was not going to diminish God's glory by violating 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Remember, this text applies to more than just marriage. It's also true in business. A pal of mine a few years ago lost $2 million to a Christian brother who was running a wild kind of a Ponzi scheme. Now, my friend knew from the beginning of that relationship, he knew the other guy was not like-minded in following Jesus, but the deal seemed just too good to pass up. Figuratively and literally, be very careful with whom you crawl in bed. Demand a fellow believer who is like-minded. We must also demand courage. Joshua 1, 16 through 18. This is astounding to me. Okay, the, here's the text, and then I'll give you the setup. Okay, the text is, they answered, they is the elders of Israel. They answered Joshua, everything you've commanded us, we will do. Everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. Certainly the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you commanded will be put to death. Above all, they're speaking to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Now, here's why that's so astounding. Just before that, here's the context. Joshua has been talking to God, to Yahweh. And Yahweh has told him all these comforting things, but then three times has said to him, be strong and courageous. God has set him up so that when he goes in to meet with the leaders, the number one thing they need in, in this guy with whom they're going to be yoked to do this work together, the true partnership of the elders and Joshua as the set-aside leader, the thing they need most God has prepared him for. And then he hears the same thing from them. What do you need if you're going to be in a partnership? You need somebody who has courage. Throughout this series, I've been telling you stories that were first spoken by um, an old friend of mine who's now with the Lord, American business leader Fred Smith. Here's what Fred had to say about the need for courageous partners. Fred wrote this. He said, I was driving through Montgomery, Alabama back in 1956. On the radio, a middle-aged black woman was being interviewed. Montgomery, Alabama, 1956. The, the bus boycott. You all know about that? Okay, well, you should. Asked how she felt about the coming bus protest, she replied, I think I'm going to be scared, but I know I'm not. Fred writes, that is a heart of courage. That is someone worthy of partnership. Courage lives in the turmoil of life. Courage overcomes panic. It gives the ability to concentrate by thinking of the right thing at the right time. It is a must for healthy associations, close quote, indeed. Don't settle for a pansy. Now, let's close with a final instruction. Final instruction for selecting a, a life partner or a business partner, demand integrity. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 37, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, but let your yes mean what, everybody? And you're no mean. Anything more than this is from the evil one. 
We must demand integrity of ourselves and of our partners. It's not easy. We are all, remember the image of God is defaced, not erased, but defaced. We are lazy, self-centered liars at heart. In fact, Jeremiah said that our hearts are deceitful above all else. Nonetheless, by God's grace, we can be integrous. We can speak truth in love as part of growing up in Christ. If I can make a practical suggestion, very practical suggestion to that end, here's what I would say. Don't excuse any theft at all. Don't pretend that it's okay to borrow someone else's idea without giving them credit. Don't don't pretend it's okay to not show up when you said you would or to borrow office supplies for use at home or, or to rob privacy by calling out your enemies on social media or to withhold the honor that is due to authorities. Think, here, here's another great note that I was sent about integrity. This person wrote me, this is a few weeks ago. Wayne, uh, talking about a particular client. Client said they were working exclusively with us and they wanted to deepen the partnership, but I credibly discovered they were actually shopping our contract to get a better deal with another company. So I told our board, we need to drop them now. They're liars. Now, one board member was really upset. She said, that is suicide. They are our biggest customers. I said suicide was to stay in bed with liars. After much discussion, we dropped that contract. It's now been four years, and they're out of business, and we're still going strong. Close quote. Integrity. Demand it. Demand it. Do not be this guy, and don't date him. Takes us to the final thought in this study, which I know you're asking in your, uh, your teenage Groot imitation. I'm Groot, right? Which, which we know translates as, how can one become a great friend or a partner? It's a great question. It has a very clear answer. Live yourself. What we just talked about that you need to look for in others. Do to others what you would have them do to you. So let's do a quick checkup. Quick checkup, everybody. What are the holes in my integrity? Not are there any, what are they? Here's a a way you can find them. Ask yourself this. In what areas do I excuse my lack of follow-through? Second question. Where do I lack courage? Oh, I'm 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 not scared. Really? Okay, just ask yourself this. About what do you worry? About what do you panic? That's where you lack courage. Usually idolatry is involved. That's a topic for another time, but but turn to the Lord and work on it. Number three, am I willing to engage with people? Or do I just like the Goldilocks effect, having lots of friends that are at arm's length? In what ways am I not fully faithful? Where am I not loyal? What relationships... Do I find it easy to gossip about to other people? That can be a way to get to that one. In what parts of my day should I see more calling on the Lord, whether it's crying out to Him or whether it is proclaiming His name or whether it is putting myself in His story, living His ethic? Where are the parts of my day where I'm not calling out to the Lord? You know how to be a good friend? Work on that one. In what scenarios am I least likely to be truthful? I'll tell you mine. It's when I'm embarrassed. When I'm embarrassed, I am least likely to be truthful. I'll, I'll, I'll fudge, I'll, I'll push, I'll manipulate, I'll massage the truth. I'll lie because I'm embarrassed, right? I don't know what yours are. Maybe you're like me, maybe you're different. I didn't have space to put those in the notes, but uh, I want you to go through those. If you would remember, all the slides are available at friscobible.com. Why don't, why don't we, uh, you can work on those more later. Let's leave them up while we pray. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters. 
that we will grow in truthfulness, that we, will, that we will proceed in people who call on the Lord all the time, that we will be fully faithful by your grace, that we will engage people according to space, not, not ignoring healthy boundaries or pretending that we are you, but, but we will engage, that we'll be courageous. Golly, we live in a pusillanimous age. It just... We are, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips, people unclean lips. I am a pansy among pansies, is how we would say in your throne room. Lord, help us overcome that. And please, please, don't let us excuse lack of integrity. Let, in a word, let us be friends who are worthy of you and worthy of the wonderful people that you bring our way. In Jesus' name, amen.